Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to the Science of Success with your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success. I'm your host, Matt Bodner. I'm an entrepreneur and investor in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm obsessed with the mindset of success and the psychology of performance. I've read hundreds of books, conducted countless hours of research and study, and I'm going to take you on a journey into the human mind and what makes peak performers tick, with a focus on always having our discussions rooted in psychological research and scientific fact, not opinion. In this episode, we discuss an old trick palm readers use that you can leverage to get people to do what you want. Why persuasion does not lie just in the message itself, but rather in how the message is presented. What the research reveals about why the context matters as much, if not more, than the content itself. Why you shouldn't ask people for their opinion, but instead ask someone for their advice. How small differences that seem trivial can make a huge impact on human behavior, and much more with our guest, Dr. Robert Cialdini. The Science of Success continues to grow with now more than a million downloads, listeners in over 100 countries, hitting number one new noteworthy, and much more. I get listener comments and emails all the time asking me, Matt, how do you organize and remember all this incredible information? A lot of our listeners are curious how I keep track of all the incredible knowledge I get from reading hundreds of books, interviewing amazing experts, listening to awesome podcasts, and more. Because of that, we've created an epic resource just for you, a detailed guide called How to Organize and Remember Everything. And you can get it completely for free by texting the word SMARTER to the number 44222. Again, it's a guide we created called How to Organize and Remember Everything. All you have to do to get it is to visit successpodcast.com and join our email list or text the word SMARTER to the number 44222. That's S-M-A-R-T-E-R to the number 44222. In our previous episode, we discussed what to do if you don't know what you want to be when you grow up. We looked at the concept that you only have one true calling. We learned how to become a better big picture thinker. We looked at the superpowers you can develop by being a multi-potentialite, how to master rapid learning and cultivate beginner's mind, the fallacy behind the phrase jack of all trades, and much more with Emily Wapnick. If you want to learn how you can have it all in your life and career, listen to that episode. 
If you love this episode and you want to go deeper into some of Dr. Cialdini's work, be sure to check out our Weapons of Influence series where we go deep on all six key principles of influence, which you can find along with all other links, transcripts, and information we're going to talk about in today's show in our show notes. Just go to successpodcast.com and hit the show notes button at the top. Your support is what drives us and keeps us creating great new content, adding value to the world, and interviewing amazing guests every single week. You can become part of our incredible mission and help us build an even better future by becoming one of our patrons on Patreon. If the science of success is valuable to you, we would love for you to sign up and become one of our patrons, and we offer some awesome bonuses if you sign up as well. Join us today and become a part of our mission to unleash human potential by going to successpodcast.com slash Patreon. That's successpodcast.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Today, we have another legendary guest on the show, Dr. Robert Cialdini. Robert is the president and CEO of Influence at Works. He's the multi-best-selling author of Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion, and his latest book, Persuasion: A Revolutionary Way to Influence and Persuade. He's currently a Regents Professor Emeritus of Psychology and Marketing at the Arizona State University. Commonly referred to as the godfather of influence, Robert's work has been featured around the world with clients such as Google, Microsoft, IBM, the Department of Justice, and more. Bob, welcome to the Science of Success. Thank you, Matt. I'm pleased to be with you and your listeners. Well, we're incredibly excited to have you on here today. So listeners, you know, I'm, I'm sure many longtime listeners will be very familiar with you and, and a lot of your work. So I, I want to focus on your new book, Persuasion. You know, we've talked, we've done a whole series on the show about uh, the principles of influence and, and how vital those are. So tell me a little bit about what, how did you go from, from the six principles of influence to the concept of persuasion? Well, you know, it took me a long time. It was 30 years between the writing of the book Influence and Persuasion. And the truth is, I never had an idea big enough to compete with the impact that Influence had had. I didn't want to plant a bush next to this tree that Influence had become. I wanted to wait until I had another seed for a tree. And that didn't arrive until the idea for persuasion. And opposed to, to influence, which covers what best to build into a message to get agreement, persuasion describes the process of gaining agreement with a message before it's been sent. And although that may seem like some form of magic, it, it's not. It's, it's established science. So tell me a little bit more about that idea. How can we how can we get someone to buy into an idea before we've even presented it to them? There is a key moment that allows a communicator to create a state of mind in recipients that is consistent with the forthcoming message. It's the moment in which we can arrange for others to be attuned to our message before they encounter it. That's a crucial step for maximizing desired change. For example, in one study, when researchers approached individuals and asked for help with a marketing survey, only 29% agreed to participate. But if the researchers approached a second sample and preceded that request with a simple, persuasive question, do you consider yourself a helpful person? Now 77.3% volunteered. Why? Because when they were asked before the request if they were helpful, nearly everyone said yes. Then, when the request occurred, 
most agreed to participate in order to be consistent with the recently activated idea of themselves as helpful people. That's fascinating finding. And, and I mean, basically more than doubles the effectiveness by simply asking a question which leverages the, the commitment consistency tendency. Right. And there's a further study that shows that it's it's not simply getting people to make a commitment publicly. It's getting them to reflect on a particular trait that they might have. So in another study, people were asked to try a new soft drink. They were walk, Somebody walked up to them on the street, handed them a flyer that asked them to try a new soft drink. And to do so, they had to give this stranger their email address. Well, under those circumstances, only 30% were interested in doing that. But if at the top of the flyer, there was a question, do you consider yourself an adventurous person? Now 55% gave their email address to a stranger so that they could access something new. So what these researchers did was put people in touch with their adventurous side simply by asking the question, and then people behaved in a way that was congruent with that adventurous side. And I believe you, I think you've talked about in the past how you used to be a palm reader, right? And and this is yeah. similar to the lesson that that fortune tellers and palm readers use to get people to sort of agree with what they're about to say. Exactly. So I learned how to be a amateur uh, palm reader and I tried using the the system in various ways to see how accurate it really was and I found that it, it wasn't any good at all at uh, describing who people were, what their fortunes were. But it was very accurate at getting people to reflect on a particular aspect of themselves right? that I could claim I saw in their palm. For example, suppose I was reading your palm and I bent back your thumb and I said, Matt, I can tell from the uh, resistance here that you are a very stubborn person. If somebody tries to push you in a direction that you don't want to go, you're going to push back. Right? You might not even you, – you might do more than just refuse. You might do the, the opposite out of uh, resistance and reactance. Right? What that will do is send you down a memory chute of the times when you were indeed stubborn and resistant. And you will say to me, you'll hit some instances and you'll say to me, yeah, that's right. That's who I am. Now, if instead I bent back your thumb, very same thumb, and said, you know, Matt, I can see that you're actually a flexible individual. You're willing to change your mind if you encounter information to suggest that uh, you've been wrong in the past. Right? That will send you down another different memory shoot where you'll encounter times when you were flexible and you will look up from me to me from uh, that palm that I'm reading and you'll say, that's right. That's who I am. So I can, I can get you to focus on a particular trait or capacity that you have and as a result, make you more likely to think 
of yourself as that kind of individual. There's an old uh, saying that, tell me what you're paying attention to, and I'll tell you who you are. So if you're always uh, watching sports on ESPN, I I can tell that you're a fan. If you're always reading gourmet magazines, and uh, uh, I can tell that you're a foodie, right, by what you're paying attention to. Well, what the new behavioral science tells us is that getting you to pay attention to something doesn't just reveal who you are. It makes you who you are in that moment. I can make you a flexible individual. I can make you a stubborn individual by what I focus you on first. It's fascinating. And and even when you're saying those examples, as you said it, I I sort of felt myself almost in in a reaction, just starting to think about all the times that I've been stubborn. And then when you switch to flexible, I start thinking about, oh yeah, these, you know, all these times I've been flexible. And then I caught myself and I was like, hold on, I'm getting, you know, I'm getting sort of primed to, to think about these things. Right. Uh, And that's the trick that palm readers use, but it's now something that is available to communicators to move us in various directions. So we have to be very careful when we encounter a message, not simply to look inside the message for evidence of the persuasive strategies of the communicator. We have to ask ourselves, what happened just before I received that message? I'll give you an example There was a study done of an online furniture store that specialized in sofas. For half of their their visitors to their website, they sent them to a landing page that had as its background wallpaper fluffy, soft clouds. For the other half of the visitors, they went to a landing page that had small coins, pennies, as the landing page depiction, background depiction. Those people who saw the clouds then rated comfort as more important in buying a sofa than before. They then searched the site for comfort-related information, and they preferred to purchase more comfortable sofas. Those who were sent to the background landing page of small coins, pennies, rated cost as more important in their decision of buying a sofa, searched the site for price information, and preferred to purchase inexpensive sofas. And when they were asked afterward, so did those clouds or coins make any difference in your choices? They laughed. They said, of course not. I'm a freestanding entity. I decide based on my personal preferences of who I am and what I want. They didn't recognize that the clouds and the coins changed who they were and what they wanted in that moment. And I think you've you've raised two really, really important points, and I want to dig into each of these. One is this idea that the the importance, uh, the notion that 
the persuasion doesn't necessarily lie just within the message, but rather the context of the message is presented in the things that happen before that message. But then the second thing you just brought up, which I think is, is vital and, and really underscores how important, how powerful, and, and sometimes how insidious this can be, is the idea that people consciously have no awareness of the fact that they're being primed to to think these these certain ways and make certain decisions based on what they would consider consciously to be completely irrelevant factors. Exactly. I'll, I'll give you another example. Uh, a study was done in France where they went to a shopping mall and had a very attractive young man walk up to young women uh, who were strolling along through the halls of, of the, the uh, shopping mall. He stopped them gave them a compliment, and asked them for their phone number so he could call them for a date later. Right? Under most circumstances, his success was dismal, where, where they were passing various kinds of stores. Only about 13% of the time did he get a phone number, even though he was selected to be very attractive, movie star looks kind of guy. Right? But if they were passing one particular kind of shop his success doubled. It was a flower shop because flowers are associated with romance. And not one of these young women, women when asked afterwards, recognized what had happened to them. And that reminds me of another example, which I, th I think, tell me if this is the same sort of psychological tendency, but I think it was when people were purchasing wine in a wine store, if they put on German music, it was like 70% of the purchases would be German wine. If they put on French music, 70% of the purchases would be French wine. And yet when they asked consumers, did the music have any impact on the wine purchase? I, you know, Everyone said that, that it had no impact on them. Exactly right. So it, this is a dangerous stick of dynamite that we have now in the idea of persuasion. That's why we have to be so ethical about the use of this. We have dynamite. We can move people in our direction and they won't even recognize it. So we have to be very careful that we take the ethics and their interests into account as, as communicators. And on the recipient side, we also have to be very careful that as, as recipients of this information, we don't dismiss the context in which the information was presented. So that, that gets back to the, the first point I talked about, which I want to I dig into a little bit more. The idea that the message itself is not where all the persuasion takes place, and it can take place around the message, before the message. Tell me more about that, that phenomenon, that notion. Yeah. Well, remember the idea from back in the 70s, uh, the medium is the message, this, this notion that the channel in which you send the message can be a message itself. If you meet somebody face to face versus you call them on the phone or you send them an email, that's a message itself that you have taken the time to meet with them face to face rather than send them an email. So the message is partially the medium, right? Well, what we've learned since then is that not only is the medium the message, the messenger is the message. Sometimes simply establishing one's credibility as 
a communicator, as an honest and informed uh, broker of information can be enough to be the message. It's often the case that people say yes to something simply because of the credentials of the communicator. There was a sort of alarming study that was done that measured brain activity when people were given communications about uh, a particular economic decision that they could make, right? And when it was just sent to them by an unknown communicator, those sections of their brain, those sectors of their brain associated with cognitive analysis lit up, right? Just as you would expect. But when they were told that the communicator was a distinguished professor of economics at the University of Chicago, their analysis sectors of, the brain, of their brain shut down. They flatlined. Instead, another sector of the brain lit up, which was, had to do with attribution of uh, responsibility for messages. Who is this person, essentially? So the messenger was the message. The context, before there was even a message, sold the audience. There's another way in which we can think of it. The multitude is the message. Not only is the medium of the message or the messenger the message, the multitude is the message. If a lot of other people are doing something... That's an indication that it's the right thing to do before you have even encountered the message, right? So, for example, in the uh, United Kingdom, they have a problem with uh, people who pay their taxes late, right? And they send them a message, uh, the tax office, that says, if you don't pay in a certain time, here will be the consequences. And they get about uh, 60... 8% of the people responding by paying their taxes after getting that message. If instead they say the great majority of UK citizens do pay their taxes on time, now this goes to 73%. If instead they go even further and say the great majority of taxpayers in your community pay their taxes on time, it goes to 79%. So learning what most others are doing is a message itself. All context to the content of the message that is yet to come. And that's a great, the the word context, that's a great way to kind of succinctly capture this notion, which is the idea that context matters as much as or maybe more than content in many cases. Often more than content. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
Hiring the right person takes time, time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. So how can we... How can we leverage some of these principles? Let's let's think about, you know, for those who are, are operating kind of ethically in a sound way, how can they leverage these principles to, to influence people yeah. in the way that they want to? Let's take the workplace as an example. Suppose you're applying for a job right? and there's a uh, a meeting that you have with an evaluator. Sometimes it's a team of evaluators, sometimes just a single person. And you go in, and what we've always been taught to say is, I'm very happy to be here. I want to answer all of your questions right, that you would have for me. Here's what I'm going to suggest we do. We also say, but I'm curious. I have a question for you. Why did you invite me here today? What was it about my resume that was attractive to you. And here's what they will do. They will begin by focusing on your strengths. They will be, the context for the interview will be your strengths. That will be the starting point for the interview. They will search your, your resume. They'll say, well, it's because your credentials are what we want, or it's because your values that you indicated fit with our value statement, right? And that will be the launching point now. You'll also be informed about what it is that they think is most important. Right? You'll be able to build on that. I have a acquaintance who claims he's gotten three straight better jobs in a row using this tactic. Okay, now, let's say you got that job and you've, you've got a new initiative that you want to develop, right? but you know you need the uh, buy-in of a, of a colleague of yours to send this idea forward. So you approach that person, maybe give that individual a draft or a blueprint of your idea, right? And ask for that person's advice. That's a mistake. Not, not to include this individual, right? And you ask for that person's opinion. I'm sorry, I meant to say opinion. You ask for that person's opinion. It's a mistake to ask for that person's opinion. Because when someone is asked for an opinion, that person takes a half step back from you and goes inside 
introspects and separates, right? Instead, if you change one word persuasively and ask for that person's advice rather than opinion, that individual takes a half step toward you psychologically, sees him or herself as a partner in this process. And the research shows that person will now become more supportive of your idea than if you asked for an opinion. You know, there's a, there's a saying, when you ask for someone's advice, you're usually looking for an accomplice, right? <laughs> well, here's what the behavioral science says. If you get that advice, you usually get that accomplice. And that's what you want, right? When you want to push something forward in, a, in an organization. Okay, and then one last thing. Now, let's say you've, you've got a, a meeting to present your idea and it's got a particular budget and you have figured out the budget so that it will be $75,123 right, to a- accomplish your uh, idea, to get it launched. And what you typically do is to reduce that to 75000 You round it off to $75,000, right? That's a mistake because if you say – research shows if you say 75123 people assume that you have done your homework. You have figured this out. You are knowledgeable about the pros and cons of the budget. Right? You've got it down to the dollar. Right? And even though it will be more money by $123 than the $75,000 figure, people will be more likely to accept that budget under those circumstances. I saw another study recently uh, remarkable back in, in the UK again with the, the tax office. So they got this idea, hey, let's, te- let's tell people that the majority of taxpayers pay on time. So they sent one message that said nine out of ten of the people in, in your community pay their taxes on time. For another group, they sent a message that said 88% pay their taxes on time. The 88% message got twice as much taxes, tax payments, because it was a precise number rather than a rounded one that seemed like it was pulled out of the air. So that's one thing you can do before you even begin. Begin with a budget, put it at the top of your proposal that has a precise number rather than a rounded one. It's fascinating, and I think it can't be overlooked that these small differences that seem so trivial to someone who's not consciously applying the principles of influence, the principles of persuasion, they, they seem so irrelevant, and yet they make a tremendous impact on, on human behavior. You're precisely right about that, Matt. I'll tell you something, how I began to dis- – how I decided to write this book, Persuasion. Right? I had been seeing 
studies in the research literature suggesting something like this, but I hadn't really put it together till one day there was a knock at my door. I answered it to find a man who was asking me to contribute to a cause, after-school programs for children in my district whose parents were working, who would have to get child care for them, uh, and so on, right? So we would have education uh, opportunities for them after school. He didn't show me any credentials to indicate that he was from the school district. And I hadn't heard that the school district was initiating such a program. And yet I gave him more money than I would have given to someone from the United Way or the Cancer Society that I normally give. And after I closed the door, I remember thinking to myself, what just happened here? And I realized it wasn't the content of what he said. It was the context. He did something first that made me want to give money to this cause. He brought his seven-year-old daughter with him, and I was focused on children and children's issues and children's needs and children's challenges. He put me in touch with that side of myself that became top of mind now and made me who I was in that moment. And I thought to myself, oh, there's a book here. That's fascinating. And, and I think there's, those are some great examples of how just by being a little bit conscious of it, by thinking ahead and saying, how can I, how can I set up my environment or the, or the presentation or the context for this particular piece of information to make it more effective? There's so many lessons and strategies that can come out of that. Yeah. And I think the way to do it in an ethical fashion is to say to yourself as a communicator, what is it about my message? What dimension of my message, what feature of it, what aspect of it will make it most wise for people to say yes? That's what I should put. Uh, that concept is what I should put at top of mind in my audience before I send them the message. Something that will cause them to focus on a feature of what I have to offer that makes it wise for them to choose it. So if we go back to that furniture store, that online furniture store example, if the most, if the, the best thing about the furniture at this store is the price of it, right? That's then pennies should be the first thing people encounter. Even though the more comfortable furniture may produce a bigger pro profit margin for the store, to be ethical, they should not put clouds on their background wallpaper. They should put pennies because their strength is the value, uh, their low cost. That's where we should send people if we're going to use this ethically. I'd love to, I'd love to look at another angle of the concept of persuasion. Is it possible and what are some ways that we potentially could apply persuasion to influencing ourselves? Yeah, this is really a good question because uh, it's what 
I think I've been able to use it for since I started thinking about this. And here's what I've done. If I have a task that requires me to be very thoughtful, there's a particular image I put at the top of my computer screen that research shows increases the likelihood that people will solve a difficult problem correctly. It's an image of Rodin's The Thinker. Research showed if you give business students, business school students, a, a set of difficult problems, right, and you ask them to solve that, that problem, those problems, with a variety of different images, right, like a nature scene uh, and so on, the kind of thing you usually have in your, as your screensaver or your background wallpaper, right? That's not as successful as if you give them an image of Rodin's The Thinker. They actually solve 48% more problems correctly. So that we can do this to ourselves. We can put ourselves in a state of mind that is congruent with the goal of our message. There's another study that shows that if you want people to expend a lot of energy in a task, persist at it, and be uh, energy-driven with this task, show them a picture of a runner winning a race, and that will inc increase their performance on that kind of task. So what I do now is depending on the goal I have for a particular task, I choose an image that's congruent with that goal and put it there on the corner of my screen as I perform the task. We can do that. That's a great and, and, and such a simple strategy to implement that everybody listening could, could immediately put in place right now to sort of prime themselves with just the smallest thing in their environment to help them move towards whatever they're trying to achieve. So that said, what is one really simple piece of actionable advice you would give almost as a form of homework to our listeners for them to implement some of the concepts we've talked about today? Here's a very simple thing. Very often when we want people to move in a particular direction, we want them to change, right? It requires change, right? Here's what the research shows. If we ask them for change, on a Monday or Tuesday will be more successful than if we ask them on a Thursday or Friday. If we ask them for change on the first or second day of the month will be more successful than if we ask them on the, on the last day of the month or second to last. Why? Because at the beginning of things, change is in, it's, it's something new. Something has just changed. And change is in the air, right? There's a study, for example, that showed that armed forces personnel here in the United States are often asked to contribute to a retirement plan so that at when they retire, they will have a, a, a good amount of money available to them. And they are, they've been resistant to that as a rule, except at one time after they have just changed locations to a new base, 
then they become significantly more open to the idea of doing something new, of getting away from their old habits and moving to something new. So if as communicators, we're interested in getting change, we can increase the likelihood that people will change in our direction by picking the right time. Once again, the context rather than the content of our message is vitally important. And where can people find you and your books online for, for people who want to do you know more research and dig in and learn more? Yeah, probably the best place is uh, our website, Influence at Work. Dot com. That's all one word, influenceatwork.com. And they can get access to our books, our videos, uh, and, and so on, and opportunities for speaking or uh, consulting, training, those kinds of things are available. Well, Bob, thank you so much for, for coming on the show and sharing all of this incredible wisdom. You know, We are huge fans of you and your work, and it's truly been an honor to, to have you on the Science of Success today. Thank you, Matt. I enjoyed being uh, with you. It was a good set of questions, I have to say. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. Listeners like you are why we do this podcast. The emails and stories we receive from listeners around the globe bring us joy and fuel our mission to unleash human potential. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. The greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps more and more people discover the science of success. I get a ton of listeners asking, Matt, how do you organize and remember all this information? Because of that, we've created an amazing free guide for all of our listeners. You can get it by texting the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222, or by going to successpodcast.com, that's successpodcast.com, and joining our email list. If you want to get all the incredible information we talked about in this show, links, transcripts, all the Weapons of Influence series, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get them at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button at the top. Lastly, your support is what drives us and keeps us creating great new content, adding value to the world, and interviewing amazing guests every single week. If the science of success has been valuable to you, we would love if you would become one of our patrons on Patreon and support the show. You can go to successpodcast.com slash Patreon, that's successpodcast.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and support the science of success. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of the science of success. Thank you.